Well, welcome friends to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. My name's Matt, and it's great that you're choosing to tune in with us. Today's ministry has been prepared for the 20th of March, 2022. Uh, friends, our sentence of scripture for today comes from Psalm 25, and it says, My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Well, it is the Lord's rescue that we are trusting in and the Lord's grace in, the, in our Lord Jesus that we are resting in. So friends, let's pray. Father, you have taught us to express our love for you by prayer, denial of self and works of mercy. When we are discouraged by our weaknesses, give us confidence in your love. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, now we go to a time of praise of the Lord. before 
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Friends, we come now to hear from God's Word. And so our Bible readings today are from Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, and then chapter 8, verses 16 to 19. That's our Old Testament reading. Our psalm for today is Psalm 28. And our New Testament passage is from Luke 11, verses 14 to 28. Friends, let me encourage you to take a moment now to read those for yourself before we come to think about it together. Well, friends, as we come to think about God's word together now, let me pray as we get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love and you give us your word to illuminate our way. Father, as we look to it now, please shape us to be people who we ought to be. Please show us yourself and help us to praise you as we do read it. Amen. Where's the contest? Where is the contest? Uh, some of you may know that I like to watch NRL in my spare time and often you'll hear a pre-game commentator say, uh, or ask another one, uh, where do you see this game being won or lost? Where's the contest? Now perhaps uh, the, the halves pairing are equally matched on each side, the backs are pretty, pretty even, Stephen, and so one commentator might say to the other, well, the game's going to be won or lost in the forward pack. That's where the contest is. Where is the contest? Uh, if you were to look at wars throughout history, often for many of them there's a, there's a decisive battlefront on which the war is won or lost. Now for the American Civil War, it's Gettysburg. Uh, for the French Napoleon Wars, it's Waterloo. And for World War II, some might say the beaches of Normandy. Where is the contest? Well, what about when it comes to spiritual matters? Well, as we come to our passage here today in Luke 11, uh, it's clear that there are two sides. There is a contest. We see demonic forces of evil. We see Satan, the people here, Jesus, even God gets a mention. So spiritually, where is the contest? Where does this battle happen? And while we ask that, what does it mean for us to be on the winning side? What does it take? Well, our passage today answers all these questions and it shows us that to be on the winning side, you need to do three things. You need to recognize God's king. You need to align yourself with his victory and you need to let him rule in your heart. So in Luke 11, here we are today, here we go. Point one, recognize God's king. Now, the scene that our passage opens with is a it's a picture that it probably doesn't sound too familiar to any circumstances that we encounter. Uh, but Luke drops us in, I mean, what Jesus is doing without any context, as if it's ordinary, like he's going for a walk. Verse 14, have a look at it. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And then he continues on. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. 
Now, we're not told what the deal with the mute demon is. Uh, it certainly doesn't mean that everyone who is mute is suffering from demon oppression. Uh, we're also not told how the people knew that this muteness was the cause of demonic oppression. Uh, perhaps there were other indicators. But whatever the case, the fact that the demon has been cast out, it's really obvious. Uh, this guy, he could not talk. Now, something that's a, a basic part of humanity, of our existence, is denied by the evil spirit. Now, I know that uh, for some people in our world, not being able to talk is a reality. But how would you feel if you couldn't talk for months or years even? Not able to tell your wife or your child that you love them? It seems like this demon is bringing a little slice of hell into this guy's life. But and when Jesus here comes along, he, this guy experiences freedom from his oppression. It's a common scene in Luke's gospel whenever someone needy encounters Jesus. And the people here, they were amazed when they saw what Jesus had done. But you notice not all of them. Verse 15 and 16. Some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking him for a sign from heaven. Now, Jesus, he doesn't deal with the request for a sign from heaven until later on, until verse 29. That's in the next section. But if you read through Luke's gospel up to this point, you'll see that Jesus, he's done a lot of miracles already, hasn't he? He's done at least 14 by this point, and we're only in verse 11 now. And so you've got to wonder what they're really asking for. But worse than these guys are the people who say that this power Jesus is, is displaying, it isn't a work of God, but a work of Satan. And that the devil is who they're talking about when they say Beelzebub. It's a reference to a pagan Canaanite Old Testament uh, foreign god. And the Jewish people over time had adapted it to talk about the Lord of all demons, uh, Satan himself. And Jesus makes it pretty clear in verse 18. He knows that's what they mean. And so some of the, some of the people are saying this control over demons, it doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. Well, how does Jesus reply? He uses some pretty simple logic to dismantle their argument, does he? Doesn't he? He says, if I'm casting out demons, that works against the whole scheme of things of Satan's kingdom. A house doesn't stand very long if its owner starts hacking away at its stumps with a blockbuster. It doesn't work, does it? That's simple logic. But it's not the only logic that he gives. He keeps going, verse 19. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? Well, Jesus here, he clinches his argument with an appeal to the, to the practice, apparently, of uh, Jewish exorcists. If casting out demons means a league with the devil, then their friends must also be doing the work of the devil. Right? Of course, they'd never say that. They'd never affirm that. And so Jesus argues them into a corner here. How does he conclude? Verse 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now to speak of the finger of God is to talk about his, his power, his authority in the world. But one of the only other times we hear a reference to the finger of God is in Exodus chapter 8. Are there the Israelites? They're still in Egypt under the slavery of the Pharaoh. 
And God, through Moses, says to this Pharaoh, let my people go. And God's begun to bring forth supernatural plagues to demonstrate his power to the Egyptians. They experience a few of these plagues. And then we come to this bit in Exodus chapter 8 from verse 18. But when the magicians, that's Pharaoh's magicians, when they tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen, just as the Lord had said. Back then, even the wicked sorcerers acknowledged the finger of God at work. The Pharaoh, though, though he saw the power of God, he refused to acknowledge it. And much like these people do, actually, uh, here in Luke with Jesus. And now Jesus, uh, having argued that he is acting in the power of God, he says in verse 20, If this is by God's power, then know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now the kingdom of God, it's an important theme in Luke's gospel. That's uh, the eternal kingdom that God is setting up, where evil is defeated and, and God is l- alone is left as the ruler calling people to be his. Jesus says, you're seeing the kingdom of God starting to break in now. Uh, This cosmic battle that's going on, God will have the victory. It'll soon be seen. In fact, a taste of that victory is seen in the way that Jesus casts out this demon from the man. God's kingdom is coming. And, well, let's use some more logic. Every kingdom has what? Every kingdom needs a king. And what does every king have? Authority. And so thinking about God's kingdom then, who's the one who rules it with power and authority that's displayed? Reading through Luke, it's really clear that that person is Jesus. When you see Jesus, don't be like Pharaoh in Egypt or like these guys here watching the casting out of the demon. They try and explain away Jesus' power. They try and explain away the miracles of Jesus. You need to recognize that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. Now, uh, recently I spoke with Chris Brennan. He's he's the dean of the cathedral uh, here in, in Armadale in our diocese. That means that he's the senior minister there. And he told me that he was away with a gathering of other deans of cathedrals around Australia. And now at one moment he was speaking with a bunch of them Uh, and mentioned in passing the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what one of the guys said to him. He said, the problem with you evangelicals, and that's us too, we're we're an evangelical church. The problem with you evangelicals is that you believe in a bunch of fairy tales. Take that in. This is coming from a church leader. If you ever wonder why there's other Anglican churches out there that we don't recommend you going to, Here we have a minister of one of them denying the miracles of Jesus, denying that Jesus rose from the dead. Again, take that in. What's left of the Christian message if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Jesus is not worth following if he didn't rise from the dead. Jesus is not Lord and King if he did not rise from the dead. Now these people, the people in our story here, they try and explain away the miracles of Jesus as well although they do it by attributing it to the power of Satan. Now, when we read of the power that Jesus displays, 
You need to see the finger of God at work in his king. And now another thing for us reading this, coming to this story, it may feel a bit foreign uh, because, well, we don't usually encounter this sort of uh, spiritual demonic activity that we see here. But make no mistake, uh, we still inhabit a world where Satan and demons, the forces of evil, where they're a reality. Listen to what Paul says as he concludes his letter to the Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 6 from verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you speak to someone from from some African countries or other cultures that are more uh, animistic or or spiritual in their worldview than what we are, are these stories of spiritual presence, even demonic activity, they, they ring true for a lot of these people. They see and they know this stuff. So you've got to ask, well, why don't we then? Why don't we experience this? Well, I think the devil's no fool. Uh, he plays different games to suit different people, doesn't he? Instead, he, he likes to blind us with our affluence. Because what need do we have to acknowledge God when we are self-made, self-sufficient people with everything we need? Just because we don't see demonic oppression like we see in this story doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we any less need to take up the full armour of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 for the spiritual battle that we're in. And in this battle, we need to realise, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom who stands with authority. So what does this kingdom of God actually mean then? Well, it means the limited power of evil is being overthrown. In this battle of kingdoms, There is a victor. And so for us, point two, align yourself with that victor. Now, since he's mentioned uh, the devil's kingdom and the kingdom of God here, Jesus next tells a little parable that makes a really clear point about the outcome. In verse 19, he speaks about the strong man, fully armed, who guards his house and his possessions. Now, when I read this, I think of the guy who's got the title of the scariest man on the planet. Right, his name's Martin Ford. He's six foot eight. He's 140 kilos of strapping muscle. He's covered in tattoos. And he's absolutely terrifying to look at. Right, he's got a boxing match coming up and I mean, I'd hate to be the other guy. This terrifying kind of man is the guy that I picture when I read about the strong man here. But in verse 22, Jesus says that there's a stronger man who attacks, who overpowers, and who takes the plunder of the strong man away. When you think about the context, I mean, Jesus, he's he's just been talking about Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so it's pretty simple. The strong man, he's Satan. He has real power and a people who belong to him. So who's the stronger man? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? Satan has a real grip on people. But that breaks when the kingdom of God comes in. 
the kingdom of God, it means the overthrow of evil. Uh, in Acts 26, Luke tells us that there that uh, Jesus' mission is to rescue men from the power of Satan to God. Uh, in the battle of two kingdoms, there is a victor. Now, at the start, we heard and we saw some people who, well, they saw Jesus' power, but they said, show us another sign from heaven, Jesus. Uh, perhaps they hoped to remain as, like, as neutral bystanders as they, until they got what they wanted. But Jesus says, no, you can't do that. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Well, given the massive claims of Jesus' authority, neutrality, there's no such thing. It's a self-deceiving ruse. There's no fence sitting when it comes to Jesus. If you're not standing on Jesus' team, then you're standing against him. Now for us, there are actually people we know who, well, rather people we don't know, who we have no relationship with. And so we can say, yeah, these, these other guys, like we're kind of neutral to them. But not so when it comes to God. Not so when it comes to the creator, the maker, the sustainer and ruler of the universe. No, we do have an accountability before our maker. Jesus is the victor in this cosmic spiritual battle. But you might ask, how is he the victor? Where is his victory? Well, it's at the place and moment in history where he looks his absolute weakest. Uh, read with me Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. Well, it's at the cross that Jesus secures victory. Now you might remember a few weeks ago when we encountered Satan for the first time in Luke's gospel. I told you that his name it literally means the accuser. But at the cross, Paul says our sins, our debt towards God, it's been forgiven. God's wrath toward our sin, it's turned away. Our debt has been removed. Nothing more to accuse. Satan has no more power in this way for those who are in Jesus. The serpent's head has been crushed. Well, Jesus is the victor. He's the stronger man. And you need to be sure of where you stand with him. None of us, well, we never want to be on the losing side of anything, do we? How much more should that be the case when it comes to matters of eternity? Make sure that you stand with him. But if Jesus is the victorious one, well, what does it look like to be on his team? Well, here's the answer. Point three. Let him rule in your hearts. And as we come to verses 24 to 26, it's, it's a bit of an odd story and well, I wonder what you make of it. 
It's a strange little, little one that Jesus tells about a man with a demon. Now the demon leaves the man that goes off and the man, it looks like he, he kind of has a chance to get his life together, doesn't it? But then the demon returns. It sees that, well, the, the, the house that is this man's life, it looks pretty good now. And so he goes and rounds up a bunch of his demon buddies to, to come and inhabit this man too. It's a pretty bleak picture. And the emphasis, is, it's on the result of the man. And that's that he's worse than before. Now you may feel uneasy hearing that story. But do you know who feels the most uneasy hearing this story? Well, it's going to be the man who's just had the demon taken out of him. Hearing this, this guy be standing there thinking, I don't want that. That sounds terrible. I want to be on Jesus' team. And that's the point. That's the point of the story. I don't think at this moment Jesus has, has gone off on a bit of a tangent and he's explaining some demonology to people. No, this is a merciful warning. A warning to put yourself on Jesus' team. And Jesus speaks of this man as if his life is like a house. And the problem is if the house is empty. Because an empty house, that's where the devil goes to work, he says. The solution, though, is to put yourself on his team by letting him into your heart. That's the key. At the start, I asked, where is the contest? Where is the contest in this spiritual battle that's going on? Well, the contest, it's in our hearts. There's no good coming to stand next to Jesus, uh, coming to, to be a part of church and, and do religious things if you haven't let him into your life. If you haven't actually invited Jesus in to rule your heart. Now this guy in the story, he's experienced the power of Jesus in having a demon removed from him. But if he doesn't take a further step to actually align himself with Jesus, then in the end, this initial removal of evil, it'll be no benefit to him at all. He'll remain the property of the strong man, the property of the devil. Well, that's his point. You can have uh, self-reformation, but unless you actually accept Jesus into your heart, it means nothing. Now, in fact, for us, the scriptures speak of a, a greater accountability for those who have heard this message and yet ignore it. Now, the chapter, the chapter before ours, in chapter 10, uh, verse 13, Jesus is sending out his disciples, sending them to the towns ahead of him to prepare the way for his message, to get ready to hear Jesus. But he says, some of those towns, they're going to reject this message. And because they've heard it and rejected it, it's going to be worse for them on the day they stand before God in judgment. And if you sit in church, if you watch along here and you've heard the message of Jesus, but never actually put uh, your faith in him, never put yourself on his team, then you're going to be accountable before God on Judgment Day for that rejection. Hear this warning from Scripture. Now perhaps, hearing that, you feel there's a bit of a tension in the air. Uh, maybe the woman, in verse, the woman in verse 27, she feels that tension too, because you see there, maybe just to break the, break the, um, the tension, to, to change the topic, she calls out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. It seems like a strange little interjection, doesn't it? 
Jesus replies, verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Well, there is a relationship with Jesus that's important. And far more important than having a physical or a family relationship with Jesus is to be a person into whose heart his message has come. It was John Calvin who, who famously said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And he's right. The devil loves to especially tempt us in our affluence away from God to trust ourselves, to seek and enjoy our little pleasures more than we seek and enjoy him. Friends, Jesus wants to clean out those idols of our hearts. Not to leave them empty though, but so that he can move in. If our life is like a house, who's the ruler of yours? Who's the ruler of your house? If you want to be on Jesus' team, he needs to be its ruler. And so he says, verse 28, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Well, this puts the highest blessing of God in reach of us all, doesn't it? Friends, we need to recognize God's kingdom. We need to align ourselves with not the strong man, but the stronger man, the victorious Jesus. And we need to let him rule our hearts by his word through faith. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we see your kingdom coming in power. We see glimpses of it like uh, this demon being cast out. And we see it come fully as, as your victory is achieved at the cross where evil is defeated. And where those who now trust in Jesus, well, there's nothing left to accuse. The devil has no power over us. Father, help us to see, to see that clearly. To see Jesus, your king. Uh, to recognize that he is victorious and that we need to align ourselves with him. That we need to let him into our hearts and be the Lord of our lives. And Father, as we do that, allow us still to be aware of the devil's schemes. And to put on uh, your full armor that you give us. Father, in these things, let us go out now, trusting you, seeking to live for you, letting Jesus be Lord through all of our life. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, having heard God's word, uh, let's now go to another time of praise. Thank you. 
Well, friends, having heard God's word, we come to a time of prayer. And so in a moment, a little blue screen is going to come up. Uh, There'll be some prayer points there. Take a moment to pray with those who you're with. Pray for yourselves. Uh, Pray for our church and pray for events that are happening all around the world and the growth of God's kingdom too. Uh, Friends, at the end of our stream, another little screen will come up with some details about how you can give to support to the work work of uh, St. Augustine's Church here uh, and see the gospel go out. Friends, uh, if you love the Lord, if you want to worship him in this way as an act of praise, not just with your uh, lips, with your hands and lives, with your wallet as well, I'll invite you to prayerfully consider that. Uh, But friends, let's go now to another time of prayer and praise.
as we finish now, let me encourage you with the words of Romans chapter 8 from verse 38. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, how true that is. I go out in his love and his power now and have a great week.